Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is today. I have a quote from a recent article by Deloitte at Deloitte.com. Here we go. Finance in a digital world. It's crunch time for CFOs, exclamation point. That means they really, really, really mean it. So attention, CFOs, as your organization begins a finance transformation, what should you do first? Come on, every plan starts somewhere. You have to have a first step. So the answer depends on whom you ask. I know we're getting some feedback on the line. We'll try to fix that in a few minutes. The answer depends on whom you ask. If you ask your board of directors, they're going to say, cut headcount. Get rid of some people. Okay, that's the people part. If you talk to an advisory firm, they're going to say, look at your processes. How are they doing? How are they working? How are they going to be able to be digitized or digitalized? And how are they going to take you into the future? If you talk to a software vendor, they're going to say, ah, technology. you got to lead with technology. So if you put these three together, people, process, and technology, you have what we call the golden triangle. Reality check. Each leg of the golden triangle, people, process, and technology contributes to an effective finance transformation. So we're going to be talking about all three. I have three experts on the panel today. Let me tell you who they are and then we'll hear from them. First up, we welcome back David Dixon. I hear he's a traveling man. We'll find out where and how picturesque it is in the city he's visiting right now over in Europe. He's a co-founder of TrueQuad, T-R-U and then capital Q-U-A, one word. We're welcoming a newcomer today, Molly Boyle. She's a senior manager of solutions marketing at Blackline and we'll have her tell us what she she does and what her company does. And rounding out the panel, another returning guest, Stephanie Hudson-Miller, Vice President of the North America Finance Center of Excellence at SAP. So welcome to our three esteemed panelists. David Dixon has sent us a quote from W. Edwards Deming, or Deeming, however you pronounce it. He lived from 1900 to 1993, an American engineer, statistician, professor, author, lecturer, and management consultant. And his book, the famous book, is The New Economics for Industry, Government, and Education. Let's just leave that on the table and let me read the quote. If you can't describe what you're doing as a process, you don't know what you're doing. David Dixon, welcome. How are you? How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Very well, thank you. Appreciate you taking the time out. Rumor has it you're in Spain, and rumor has it it's 6 p.m., and here you are. You should be having some wonderful tapas dinner right now, and you're on the radio, so may I say thank you? Absolutely. No, and I'll be doing that right after this call. I thought so. Okay. You're going to make us hungry. So, David, we'll find out a little bit more about where you are when we go to the What's in Your Cup Today segment. But right now, I'd love to know how you picked this quote and how does it relate to our topic, please? Well, I've always been a big Deming fan. I mean, uh, my mother was Japanese, and he really transformed the nation there of Japan. A lot of the success of Japan, Inc., in the 80s was attributed to the fact that he took a process-centric and statistical, uh, with a statistics background, to really improve business and bring, you know, management philosophy and management systems to Japan, but not just Japan, the rest of the world. And so he's had mm-hmm. a huge impact on business, especially in the manufacturing se- uh, sectors and, and the automotive industry in particular. So, um, you know, it's not just the quote, it's, it's also the man that I think really resonates. 
Very interesting. I, I'm looking here in his bio. You know I always copy a long bio into my notes, and it says many in Japan credit Deming as one of the inspirations for what has become known as the Japanese post-war economic miracle of 1950 to 1960, and I know that's what you're referencing. Thank you very much, David. Looking forward to more from you. And now let's get our opening quote from Molly Boyle at Blackline, and she's quoting Steve Jobs. Fascinating, the three people who are being quoted by our guest today. And Steve Jobs, of course, 1955 to 2011. He passed away on October 5th which was the day we debuted Game Changers Radio. Had no clue it was going to be a very important day in tech history. He was an American entrepreneur and business magnate, chairman, CEO, and co-founder of Apple. He was chairman and majority shareholder of Pixar, a member of the Walt Disney Company's board of directors following its acquisition by Pixar of Pixar and the founder, chairman, and CEO of NEXT Next. So here's the quote. My job is not to be easy on people, my job is to take these great people we have and to push them and make them even better. Molly Boyle, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Delighted. Talk to me about this quote. I don't think I've seen this one yet. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, Steve Jobs, uh, just a really important figure in business and also known for innovating and, and transforming from a technology perspective. So I thought thought that was very relevant, um, you know, as we talk about technology today. But also what really struck me with this quote is, is the people part of it, coming from a leader, you know, who was so focused on innovation and technology, but he was also known for being a phenomenal leader and developer of people. And I think that's something... I've been passionate about over the course of my career and something we'll talk about today in, in terms of changes happening out there in, in the marketplace and particularly as it relates to accounting and finance talent. I think making sure that organizations and companies can hire, retain, and develop top talent is, is becoming a bigger and bigger piece of, of success. And I think Steve Jobs was was well aware of that, and, and this quote just talks about his commitment to to making sure that he was putting people, whether first or as a key component of of his company, and he knew that that was a critical part of of the success of Apple. Thank you very much, Molly. It's interesting when you talk about great people and push them and make them even better. And back in the day, we think of finance, and I say this often on this series, we think of finance as uh, CPAs sitting in the basement of a company with green eye shades and little green banker's lamp just doing their thing and pushing numbers around in a spreadsheet and just doing their thing. And now we're talking about great people. So has the attitude changed about the types of people who are being hired into the finance department and working for the CFO? What do you think, Molly? hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a fundamental shift happening over the last several years, and, and I don't think it's going to slow down or stop anytime soon, where, um, you know, really on, on, on both sides of the equation, to some extent, I think accountants are being asked to do more. Accounting and finance people are being asked to be more dynamic and more thought-provoking and, and more strategic, as opposed to this old, you know, phenomenon of, of the bean counter or, you know, just the people that, that are never seen nor heard and, and, and really just, just 
complying or, you know, producing reports or filings or whatever the case may be. I think the role is quickly expanding and, and having the right people and talent for that job is becoming increasingly important. Thank you very much, Molly. Pleasure to get to know you. We'll talk about you and your company a little bit. And now Stephanie Hudson-Miller, returning guest. And I I alluded to the fact that we had three very, very strong people being quoted today. We started off with David's quote from W. Edwards Deming. We had Molly Boyle's quote from Steve Jobs. And now Stephanie has chosen a quote from Mark Zuckerberg, born in 1984, a young kid. My goodness, it should be almost illegal how young and how rich he is and how successful he is. But he came up with an idea whose time apparently had come. An American tech entrepreneur and philanthropist, best known for co-founding and leading Facebook as its chairman and CEO. Since 2010, Time Magazine has named Mark Zuckerberg among the 100 wealthiest and most influential people in the world as part of its Person of the Year Award. And in December 2016, just a year and a half ago, he was ranked 10th on Forbes' list of the world's most powerful people. Here's the quote. The biggest risk is not taking any risk. In a world that's changing really quickly, the only strategy that is guaranteed to fail is not taking risks. Stephanie, welcome back. How are you? Doing great. Thank you very much, Bonnie, for having me. Delighted to have you back. Talk to me. Very powerful quote from Mr. Zuckerberg, and we'll leave politics out of it. So talk talk to me about yeah, finance and fi- out, huh? yep, um, yeah, finance transformation. You how young he is, because that was one of the things that struck me about the quote is it actually took me back to my own childhood when I was trying to learn sports and I kept failing and I, I'm very I'm not very coordinated, um, but I would I would have to keep trying and keep trying and taking a risk and trying new ones and eventually I found a couple that I was really good at and I never would have gotten to those had I not kept trying and you know I I, I think whether you look at Facebook or Amazon or Snapchat I mean these companies have radically changed how we interact with each other how we do research market research. Um, how we share photos, how we share information, how we purchase things, uh, get you know products delivered to our house in you know a day. I mean, we never would have thought that these types of things were were going to happen, and it all happened mm-hmm. so quickly, which is really what's remarkable. And I think you know what we don't really focus on are the failures. And there, one part of what he said in his quote was that you're going to get. Uh, make a ton of mistakes as you're going through and, and, and trying new things. And you don't really, no one really remembers the mistakes. They only remember the successes. So, what, you know, one of the challenges that I see when I go out to customers and talk to them about transforming their business is they, uh, they hem and haw, right? Oh, we, we don't want to make people angry. Oh, this guy's been doing this job for 30 years. We don't want to change his, his job, but we don't want him to get angry with us. And so they, they're nervous about trying something new. They're nervous about taking that risk. And those are the companies that are going to get left behind. Those are the ones that, you know, are going to become uh, yesterday's news, right, because they aren't taking risks. They're not trying the new products. They're not trying the new ideas. So I, I think that's why this, struck, this quote struck me, because it not only took me back to my own childhood, but also just the importance of not being afraid to try something new. Even though you are going to get a little bit of resistance, you have to keep perse- persevering to try something new. Thank you. And, and Stephanie, this strikes me as, as almost a radical concept when you're talking about finance. I, I think we've done shows over the past couple of years. And by the way, Financial Excellence with Game Changers is one of our longest running miniseries. I, didn't, I don't know if you knew that under the, the banner of Game Changers Radio. I think this is the seventh season working with Chris Grundy and his wonderful team on these very interesting topics. It's also one of our top three most popular series all over the world. People want this information. But the point I'm trying to get to and not quite getting there 
is that finance is considered, I think, staid. I didn't say stodgy, but staid and kind of a laggard when it comes to adopting technology. Tell me if I'm wrong. So to talk about risks in finance in the same sentence, you applying that Zuckerberg quote to the idea of finance transformation seems a little bit radical and a surprise. What do you, Am I right or wrong? You know, you're, you're spot on. Finance is the last line of business to get money. And if you think about why, they're a cost center, right? They don't really contribute to the bottom line. Uh, i can give you an example of retail, right? Every time I go to a retail customer, they say, well, this is great, but how is this going to increase the basket size? Well, mm-hmm. uh, and I can talk about, you know, more productivity and freeing up heads to do better analytics. But at the end of the day, it's not investing in technology that's really driving the bottom line. So proving a business case in finance is really, really hard because of that. Um, but we do it, and, and, and the finance team teams are becoming much more strategic. Molly alluded this, to this before. We're looking to finance to not just be the bean counters, not just be the folks that you know, reconcile and debits and credits and, and post journal entries, right? They are the strategic thinkers for the business, and they help drive the direction. And they can only do that if we free up their time um, away from these meaningless tasks and are adding any value. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Great insights there. Just wanted to get that out on the table. Okay, uh, David, I understand you're on your cell phone now. So, David Dixon, I'm circling around the table, and you know this is the part of the show where we ask you, where are you calling from? We'd love a little little background on your travels right now. And also, what's in your cup today? Could be interesting. I know where you are. Or what would you rather be drinking, or what are you planning to drink after the show? And tell us a little bit about what Truqua is up to these days. David? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've got a beautiful view here of the bay, here of Vigo Bay, which is on the Atlantic Ocean in Vigo, Spain. Um, there's a lot of rich history here. Uh, very nice property. Um, the uh, I On the way here from the airport, there's a chain here known as Costa, uh, C-O-S-T-A, and I've, I've seen them around in Europe, and I don't see them as much in the U.S., um, but uh, very simply, just picked up uh, fruit tea. I love the fruit teas over here. Um, mm. so there's a red fruit tea. Not sure what kind of fruit it was, but uh, um, that's what's <laughs> in my cup. Very interesting. What's up with Truqua? What are you up to these days? What you doing? Oh, uh, well, a lot of stuff around finance, uh, uh, whether that's helping uh, organizations go to a shared services model or, uh, model or working with mergers and acquisitions, which seems to be on the rise these days, or applying machine learning and the latest uh, and greatest in uh, uh, technology to, uh, to their businesses. Um, we're out there helping companies implement, um, you know, the, the next generation of, of uh, financial systems. Thank you very much. Nice to hear your voice again, and thank you so much uh, for being patient with us trying to get you on a great phone line. You're on a really, really good one now. Thank you, David. And now let's go to Molly Boyle. Molly, where are you? What do you love to drink that powers you in your job at Blackline? And tell us a little bit about what Blackline does. Sure, great. Yes, I am just north of Baltimore, Maryland, where it is raining for about the ninth day straight, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. I, uh, I'm not drinking it now, but as soon as the workday's over, I'm looking forward to cracking open a Bell's Oberon. Not sure if you're familiar with it, but no. Bell's is a brewery out of the west side of Michigan. I was born and raised in Michigan, so I'm a Michigan girl, and Oberon is the summer uh, summer drink or summer beer that Bell's makes, similar to a blue moon, but just a, maybe if I crack one of those open, it'll make it feel like it's sunny 
and springtime weather outside like it's supposed to be. Well, that's interesting. I, I just looked that up. Oberon Ale from Bell's Brewery, right? Oberon. Yeah, you got it. Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh, I, I'm from the east side of the state, born and raised, but it gives me a little, uh, a little hometown nostalgia. Let me just read a little bit before you tell us about Blackline. Oberon is a wheat ale fermented with our signature house ale yeast, mixing a spicy hop character with mild fruity aromas. David, there's your note about you like to, uh, fruity teas. The addition of wheat malt lends a smooth mouthfeel, making this a little more potent. That the addition of wheat malt lends a smooth mouthfeel, making it a classic summer beer made with only 40 ingredients and without the use of spices or fruit. Interesting. Thank you very much for that, Molly. We always love to have new drinks. And by the way, oh, here's something. I won't read this one. It's America's most overrated beer. No, no. Bell's Oberon <laughs> Ale is still here's here's one. Food and Wine says Bell's Oberon Ale is still drawing crowds. There you go. Okay, we'll stick with that one. We like that one. Okay, and what what is Blackline and what do you do there? Sure, yeah. Um, Blackline was a company founded in, in 2001, so a relatively young company, but a leading provider of, of cloud-based software. And really where we fit in is we automate the financial close process, um, the, the end-to-end financial close process. Really the company's vision is around modernizing the accounting and finance functions, making sure that companies are prepared with better operational effectiveness, visibility, um, really streamlining processes and, and helping accounting and finance organizations continue to, to innovate, really getting out of some of the manual and, and risk, risky legacy processes that a lot of organizations are still, are still utilizing today in, in their end-to-end close process. So that's, that's where Blackline fits in. I'm actually a relatively new Blackliner until now, um, until about five months ago, I, I was an accountant. I've been um, an accountant my entire career so far in, in a couple of different roles. Um, but I joined Blackline as the, as the global leader of our solutions marketing team. And, and my job is really to be that subject matter expert, um, to apply my, you know, historical knowledge and my subject matter expertise around accounting and finance processes and to help make sure that we are are messaging appropriately, helping companies to understand where we fit in, where we start and where we stop and how we can help them as they as they either embark on or continue on their, their finance transformation journeys. And um, a big part of my role at Blackline also is to work with some of our strategic partners, including SAP and some others, to make sure that those companies out there utilizing SAP and other partners can, can understand how the, the complementary capabilities fit between, between Blackline and, and some of our key partners. Thank you very much, Molly. And I'm guessing, just by looking at your picture, that you're not from the era when the CPAs were sitting in the basement with the green eye shades. Am I right? <laughs> you're right. Uh, yeah, I, I graduated from undergrad, a uh, small school called St. Mary's College. I graduated in 2005 and then did my master's in accounting at Villanova in 2006. So um, certainly do remember all the days of the uh, colored pencils and, and audit files and, and binders and, and lots of Excel spreadsheets, but, 
but not so much the green bar paper and the abacus, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you really took it back in history. The abacus, oh my, even I don't remember that. <laughs> Although I've, I've seen replicas, of course I have. Thank you very much, Molly. Pleasure to know you. And Stephanie Hudson-Miller, where are you today? What's new at the North America Finance Center of Excellence at SAP? And what do you love to drink, Stephanie? So I am actually at my home office today in St. Pete, Florida, looking out over the intercoastal waterway, and it's not raining for the first time in a week, which is wonderful. So hopefully I can actually get outside this afternoon and enjoy some sunshine. Um, So what's new for us uh, at SAP is we're really excited about our our user conference coming up here in a couple weeks in Orlando. So I've been working with customers to try to maximize their experience so they can learn as much as they possibly can uh, about all the new capabilities and technology, um, and as well as meet other customers and, and do some networking. So I've been pretty busy uh, just, just organizing everyone that's coming into Sapphire in, into Orlando. So that's, that's what I've been up to. Um, also, what's in my cup this morning is actually quite delicious. So I've, I've been on a little bit of a health kick, and my husband was sweet enough to go out to Target and buy us a, a fancy Breville juicer, and so we've been doing a lot of juicing. Oh. And so this morning's juice is a combination of some beets, some carrots, some ginger, a little bit of mint, some cucumber, and then some orange and apple to make it sweet. So it's uh, anytime you put beet in a juicer, it's basically just creates a big red drink that looks like Kool-Aid. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really delicious, and the ginger kind of makes you feel healthy. So that's what's in my cup this morning. Well, I didn't know that Breville made juicers. My daughter and her husband have a double double uh, double barrel coffee station from Breville where they can make two cups of anything coffee espresso from Breville. Actually, my other cup is my coffee. I actually have There there you go. I did not know that Breville makes juicers. I'm looking at these right now. Very interesting. Quite a wide range of, of prices here. Very very yeah, interesting. Thank cheap, you for they that. They are awesome. And I, we make a gallon at a time in it cuz it lasts a couple really? days and it's a pain to clean. So um, but, wow. yeah, it's definitely worth the effort. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in the summertime, maybe you could add a little rum. I don't know. I've well, why why not? As long as it's not Tuesday when I have two radio shows almost back-to-back. Exactly. Back, but maybe tonight. Who knows? Uh, so I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. I don't know if David or Stephanie know that I moved. I left Long Island, New York after 35 years and moved here about eight and a half months ago. And uh, whoever spoke about rain, I think Stephanie mentioned rain and Molly mentioned rain. Yes, the rain in Spain is mainly not on the plane, David. It's here on the East Coast. And we have had rain off and on for about five days now. Uh, torrential rain over the weekend and thunderstorms last night. And my garden is happy and I didn't have to go out with a hose today and walk water or put the sprinkler. I'm on an easy, even-numbered house, so we're only allowed to water on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays, but I haven't had to do it yet. Well, it's still early in the week, but the ground took a really good soaking, so we're hoping uh, there are more thunderstorms actually in the forecast for tomorrow night as well. I'm supposed to go to a concert outdoors, but we shall see. So I'm looking at uh, starting some dill plants on the back porch, and I've got a wonderful crop of basil that I'm growing in a great big pot, not in the ground, and it's just huge. The leaves are enormous. I'm going to have to start making pesto sometime soon. But when it comes to drink, uh, Stephanie knows this. David may remember. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, Molly. That's probably a revelation to you, and you probably know why. So all I'm allowed to have is water. So I have cool, clear water, and I have a pink straw because in between the raindrops, it is sunny here in Durham, and that's the way it is. I just discovered we are the home. Didn't know this last week to Moog Fest, M-O-O-G. Anybody remembers the Moog 
synthesizers. Well, apparently they're live and well with all kinds of very creative music, and I just saw a report that it was here in Durham, and I didn't know. So next year I'm going to get tickets to that and expand my music horizons. So we're here today talking about expanding horizons. We're talking about the Golden Triangle. Digitally transforming finance. How do you do it? Well, some people will tell you it's all about people and headcount. Some will tell you it's about processes. Others will tell you it's about technology. But if you put all three together, people, process, and tech, you get the golden triangle, and that's what it's all about. Speaking with three experts on the topic, David Dixon, a co-founder of Truqua. He is in Vigo, Spain, having a good time, I think. And Molly Boyle at Blackline and Stephanie Hudson-Miller at SAP. We're going to take a quick break. We call it the pause that refreshes. So go get your pause on something that will refresh you. Have a quick drink. 90 seconds is all we're going to take. And when we come back, David will start our roundtable in earnest. So Whatever this means to you, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4HANA Finance at SAP.com. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. Let's get back to financial excellence. In case you're wondering, we're talking about the Golden Triangle, Digitally Transforming Finance. That's a packed title. And the Golden Triangle is People, Process, and Technology. We're here today with David Dixon, who's in Spain. So nice of him to take time out to be with us. He's a co-founder of Truqua. Molly Boyle is at Blackline. Stephanie Hudson-Miller is at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, in case you're wondering, but you knew that. We're going to start the roundtable with some notes David sent me before the show. Let me introduce the first topic and David will run with it. Then Molly and Stephanie will chime in. So David says business process 
is the critical link between strategy and execution. It's about defining the actions that are needed from key resources to achieve specific goals and then making them repeatable. Let me read one more, David. You say technology enables business process possibilities, but innovation must come from business processes that in turn drive IT requirements. Okay, that's loaded. David, talk to us, please. Yeah, no, what I'm trying to make the case here is that, you know, business processes is really where um, the focus needs to be for organizations that find themselves inundated with all the different technologies and options and market volatility and all the change that's going on in the marketplace. And people need to be able to chart a course. And you got to take a step back from all of, you know, uh, 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 all that's going on and say, okay, what's the direction I want to take? What's the strategy? And then how do I get resources to act on those strategies? And the critical mm-hmm. bridge and the link, you know, between the two, of course, is what we just said is business process, which is breaking it down into the different steps. But I would go even beyond uh, business process and add, you know, a small piece, policies and procedures, and then put a nice little umbrella over it, uh, which is the management system, and have a management system over all of this in which, you know, People and technology are, are, of course, important, but really it's, it's about process and the systems and the positive in order to build, you know, an effective growing business uh, and to be able to chart. So if we talk about a lot of people's, like, impression of, like, leadership is, like, the ship's captain, and I would argue it's the architect of the ship that has made the ship, you know, to be able to chart, you know, really choppy waters, to be able to navigate, you know, the, the uh, uh, volatility in the marketplace. It really is about engineering the ship to be able to, you know, uh, and and then looking at okay the different roles that that are on the ship to be able to you know chart the right course and navigate all of it. Thank you, David. Let's see what Molly has to say. Molly, agree or disagree about the role of process in innovation? Yeah, I mean, I think I generally generally agree about about process being critical. I think you know a lot of a lot of important. Projects are kicking off nowadays. Companies are looking at things like, you know, upgrading or, or redoing their ERP system or they're thinking about automation, whether that be with, you know, RPA or AI or any of the other, you know, big innovations coming out today. And if, if there isn't sort of a plan, not just, not just in the recurring day-to-day business processes, but if there isn't a roadmap and a process to help get there, then you're thinking you're looking at you're looking at rework or you're looking at overlap or redundancies between whether that be departments or entities or what have you. So I think having not just having a process but also having a repeatable process and a documented process that that is somewhat either predictable or applicable across a wide range of, of people or systems, that's critical. I think for a long time, organizations have really relied on institutional knowledge or on, you know, legacy, legacy resources to really get things done, whether that be, you know, a project or just ongoing business decisions. So I think those processes are critical. And then when it comes to the people aspect of those processes, it's obviously important to have talent that can can understand 
their role in the process and work cross-functionally outside of just maybe their, quote, day job. Um, mm-hmm. And I think having, having those, those critical roadmaps laid out, explained, and getting buy-in from those resources helps projects run successfully and helps businesses run successfully, especially with, with the increasing and rapid pace of business today. I think it's, it's critical to, to be able to pivot and having both those processes and, and people with technology like we've been talking about are, are, are critical. Thank you, Molly. Stephanie Hudson-Miller, love to get your thoughts. So you obviously need to take a look at your processes before you throw in new technology because if you take an old, an old way of doing things and try to put a newer technology on top of it, it's probably not going to work. But there's a balance, right? If, if you spend too much time over-engineering the process, then you may never get anywhere. And I, there's a customer I'm working with now, and, and they made an investment in technology back in December. They want to transform finance, and here we are almost in June, and they haven't started yet because they can't agree mm. on what the process should look like. And so it's a struggle. You have, to, you have to be willing to give up the old and be willing to adopt best practices when you're looking at a new process. Um, and be willing to kind of let go of, well, we've always done it this way, and I can't picture us continuing to, to do business unless we continue to do it this way. And, it, and it's hard. It's change management, and, and it's a struggle for businesses to get over that. And kind of gets back to my quote around taking risks, you know, risks that going to a best practice may or may not work for the business. Well, if you don't take the risk and move forward, you may never start. So it's, it's, it is definitely a balance between coming up with what the process should look like and actually just jumping in and, and taking a stab at, at moving forward, even if it's not quite ironed out. Thank you. That sounds provocative to me. We're back to the risk topic. David, this was your topic. What do you think? Yeah, no, I just think risk, though, is I mean, we're, we're forced to take risk, uh, especially in, the, in business, uh, you know, every day. There's, it, the changes that are going on, you, you have to make your bet. You know, no one's got a crystal ball on what's going to be, you know, happen next and in the industry. And we do, we are, everyone's seeing the rate of change. Is, you know, what's causing the volatility is not only accelerating change, but it's just uh, uh, just unexpected events, right, that just come out of nowhere and then having to be able to respond to that, whether it's the weather or uh, whether it's, it's um, um uh, you know, a, a, a geopolitical change. Um, it's, it's, it's. Uh, you know, these are the things that we have to, you know, quickly uh, respond to. And I think process. Yes, you know, when, if you if you have a bureaucratic process, then that in itself generates risk because you're not moving fast enough. So the processes we have to define have to be flexible processes so that we can quickly adapt and respond. Uh, and we have to have systems that allow people to be able to make judgment calls and, and not just be completely, you know, tied to the machine. Otherwise, you know, you're, 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 um, you're limiting yourself and your flexibility. Adapts. So you can't be like going back to my ship analogy. You can't be a major ship and they can't really turn very well. It's got to be a much smaller, you know, like mm-hmm. these days, it's just like the kayaker, you know, that's going down rapids and being able to quickly adjust. And, and calibrate for the uh, uh, different changes. So I think process design uh, and, and, the, and the people and the, and the technology design has to be a lot more flexible, a lot more adaptable than, than ever before. And it's not like the old traditional factory you know, manufacturing model where you've got uh, a lot of repeatable processes. Uh, we're even seeing in manufacturing, we have flex manufacturing where there's different cells that can do different, you know, uh, works and activities to be able to produce different products on the same line, right? So that's, yeah, so that, that 
in response to risk, I think in order to be able to mitigate against risk, you've got to be able to quickly respond and adapt. Thank you very much. Great explanation, David. Molly, I'm looking at your notes. I'm going to read something quickly, and then I'm going to go on mute. You say, in order to be successful, the business case for implementing new technology must focus on multiple components and must consider the organization's business persona. A simple ROI calculation on, or a couple of quick bullets on expected outcomes will not win over executives nor deliver in the end. Can you tell us about the persona? Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, as it, as it relates to the business case concept itself, Stephanie mentioned earlier that especially when you're talking about account, accounting and finance or really any back office or support function, those are often the last pieces of the organization or the last groups in the organization to get funding for projects. And so especially, you know, in in times of change and significant innovation where some of the some of the technologies that accounting and finance teams are looking for are not insignificant from a cost perspective. A simple back-of-the-envelope calculation that says, you know, I can reduce my, my cost by X dollars or X percent it isn't always enough to, to convince leadership or the executives to, to devote their people's valuable time and, and, and all of the quantitative and qualitative factors that go into sort of funding a transformation project that a lot of accounting and finance teams are, are in desperate need of. Uh, and when we talk about business persona, what I really mean there is that what's important to one company is not necessarily going to be important to another. And so, for example, if you, if you think about a growth company, maybe a technology company or a startup, those organizations are looking to grow and scale quickly. And, and often it, within accounting and finance, they need to be able to either stand up an ERP system or automate certain processes to be able to prepare themselves for growth. And so if you think about that growth company's business persona, those companies care the most about things like automation. They care about things like you know, speed or resource impact. They may not be as concerned about things like policy or overall cost from a quantitative standpoint. And so in developing a business case, whoever's responsibility that is, you really need to take into consideration what's most important and how is this project going to get there and check those boxes on those key factors that are important. On the flip side of that coin, you might have a company that's, that's stable, that's mature, that's been around for a long time, and maybe their growth strategy is is strictly acquisitive, and they're going to go out and, and buy other companies. And so in those cases, that business persona may care more about, more about policy or controls, for example, because they may be dealing with disparate systems or disparate data and having those key controls and that visibility is critical. So it's important to really take a step back when you're building a business case for something like technology and think about all the different factors and how they fit in with most, what's most important to the organization. Thank you, Molly. Thanks. Very interesting. I'd love to get Stephanie Miller's comments here. Stephanie, what do you think? You know, I, I like what Molly was talking about in, in terms of trying to drive a business case and really trying to look at how you're going to fund um, fund these projects because uh, a lot of times the funding isn't going to come out of finance. So um, what, what we're seeing 
what I'm seeing a lot of companies moving towards is actually getting rid of the finance department altogether and actually putting finance experts sitting within the different lines of business. So you'd see someone sitting in sales representing finance and marketing and operations. And and really by kind of taking that approach, you're saying I'm taking out all of the need to have a corporate finance really large corporate finance department, maybe having shared services that, that uh, you know, handle things like AP and AR, but really getting down to the analytics that are needed for those lines of business. And then that's where the finance team is starting to drive value by ingraining them directly within the business. Um, it really helps drive the business case because at that point, you're actually taking those finance folks, um, moving them into more of a strategic role within the business, and then leveraging shared services, which actually helps cut the costs of running finance altogether, so you don't have multiple people doing the same tasks, you know, supporting each one of those lines of business. I've seen that work, you know, very well within my current company at at SAP and then also within some other businesses that I've worked through. Thank you, Stephanie. David Dixon, you're up. What do you think? Interesting topic about the business persona. Talk to us. Yeah. I mean, I'm just wondering, though, if that's, you know, distributing finance like that, and it's an interesting notion, but I've seen, you know, the distribution of a function like that when it when it actually fails, like when it isn't, you know, really providing the value and they're trying to come up with more creative ways to, you know, be of value. Because I, I think finance, like any other function, sometimes struggles with um, being a partner to the business and being you know, having a seat mm-hmm. at the table of, of decision making and not getting caught off with just all the processing and 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 more of the menial you know tasks of of accounting, but actually help support decision making. And you know, and and if you're, I've seen it with IT organizations where they've distributed IT out, and it's usually when IT you know has relegated itself to kind of janitorial services. So they're trying to then say, okay, well, no, we need to be help you know, be a partner in the business and help advise. So we got to be out with the different lines of business and the different business units to provide, uh, uh, you know, to provide that value and that, and that partnership uh, and be closer to the business. So it's an interesting thing that, um, uh, yeah, that uh, Stephanie just brought up there because, uh, you know, I, I'm also seeing the opposite trend where in order to, um, you know, I mean, finance is looking at financial, so they're looking a lot of times at cost cutting, and so it's about shared services. And when you've done a lot of mergers and acquisitions or have grown as an organization, you're trying to centralize a lot of that. And she did mention like ARAP, but I've I've also seen a trend to try to give like you know shared services their own business system uh, or financial system to, uh, to drive those efficiencies. And I see you know that as a trend, and we we saw a lot of that with the notion of business process outsourcing and just outsourcing a lot of that too outside of the organization. But then, you know, that, that to me is a reflection of a commoditization of the finance and accounting function and not really taking it to the next level where it needs to be, which is helping make better decisions. And then tying this back to the ROI discussion, the, you know, there's, there's it, ROI is easy about when you can reduce headcount and when you can outsource or do, you know, efficiencies, but, when it's about better decision-making and better analytics, I see a lot of organizations struggle with the ROI in business case because that's soft and fuzzy. You know, what, what is a better decision? What are better? But that's where, you know, the market needs to go is, is be much more outward-focused and, 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 uh, and look at, yeah, what are the things that are going on in their, in their business environment that's, you know, driving change and how to help the business make decisions in light of, the, you know, the changes that are going on. Thank you, David. Stephanie, you want to comment back to David? Uh, he, he noted something that you said. Anything you, any thoughts you want to add? 
Yeah, I like how he challenged my uh, my thoughts about <laughs> you got it. Lines of business. Yeah, we it, heard it. it is, <laughs> we uh, heard it. Go ahead, Dave. You're right, and and it's um, I have seen where it hasn't worked as well either because then you know you, you're basically taking someone who has been an AP accountant, for example, their whole career. And now you're putting them into a more strategic role, and it's just not something they're cut out with. So naturally, you're going to see attrition, and you're going to see people moving on because it's not something they want to do. So I think I think you're right, Dave. It's a fine balance, and it, it doesn't always work successfully. But you know, I think the point of of the kind of the redirection of of bringing finance into into the lines of business is really just much more about making sure they're doing more strategic work, right, and making sure they're looking at um, changing their persona really away from this non-value-added clerk to someone that's much more strategic. And the ones that aren't cut out for it are going to be moving into other businesses or moving into different roles that they are more suited for. But you're right, we're going to see some natural changing in in the, the role that is the finance analyst. Thank you, Stephanie. David, anything you want to come back to? Because I want to make sure we wrap up this part of the conversation and get some comments from Molly since she started this. David, quickly, anything you want to add? David? Well, the only thing, just to relate back to the Deming quote, right? One of the things Deming always said, which was ironic, is that the problem with you know, the, the black businesses is that they focus too much on cost and cost production and not on quality. And what he showed is that quality actually reduces costs, right? And that's maybe the fundamental problem is a lot of the decisions that are being made are short-term financially driven, and it's about cost-cutting reduction, but not about actual business process improvement and generating quality and actually ultimately, ironically, you know, driving down overall cost and, and creating more efficiencies and making finance a smaller you know, percentage, I mean, the rule of thumb, 1% or less, right, of, of the overall sales of an organization. Um, that's, that's really ultimately objective. I think you get there through business process and quality and, and those kinds of, uh, uh, you know, systems thinking measures. Thank you, David. Molly, we've got to get you in on this. We've got a good challenge going back and forth there. What do you have to say? Yeah, no, it's a, I think this is a, is a great discussion. I think it can be, you know, summarized in, in the sense that there's not, not necessarily a, a one-size-fits-all silver bullet that, that's the answer for, mm-hmm. for questions. And to bring back the, the concept of this business persona, I think, I think the only constant really out there is, is change right now. And companies, whether they are mature or acquisitive or whether they've got the newest technology or the oldest technology, the companies that are, are doing things successfully are those that are, are willing to change and adapt. And to Stephanie's point around, you know, resources, you may not always be able to take that, you know, bookkeeper, if you will, and, and turn that exact same person into a strategist. But there, there might be a broader vision there where you're, where you're over a period of time trying to either develop those existing resources, you, you know, focusing back on that people piece, developing those existing resources to, to reach their fullest potential and to be more strategic, or you may be making a shift to the structure of your organization where you're hiring a different type of talent because there is a need for, for a, a different skill set than there used to be. So I think, you know, all of these things, there, there are so many factors at play, but, but being able to sort of evaluate the big picture again of people processes and technology together is really is really what what what's important 
Thank you very much, Molly. And Stephanie, I want to make sure we pick up at least one. We're just about at the predictions round, but I'm just going to pick up one statement from your list I want you to talk about. Please, you say, uh, companies just beginning their journey to finance digital transformation are often excited by all the shiny new objects, and they see the value, but they struggle with how those capabilities work in their organization or can work in their organization. Can you just give me a 60-second overview of what this all means, please, Stephanie? Yeah, I mean, I think part of part of the fun that I get to do in my job is actually showcasing what the art of the possible looks like to companies, and and you know we show them kind of again all these shiny, these really flashy demos and cool graphs and pictures, and look at how easy it is. It's all on my mobile device, and and while that's the end state and that's the reality for a lot of businesses that have made the transformation, you know, when I've been using the same software for the last twenty years, it's really really hard um, to get there, and so. If I'm Mm -hmm. sitting in an individual business unit um, and I want to make a change, it's really hard for me to do that as a single individual and and to really get to that end state. And so a lot of times if we don't get leadership to buy in on the fact that, yes, we need to get the whole business to this end state, we're never going to get there. So while we want to bring all the new technology and the new capabilities into a business, um, the the, the way to do that the most successfully is to not only get the the analysts and some of the end users excited, but also make sure we're getting the executive leadership excited and showing them what's in it for them in terms of their changed lives in this new world. Um, And so one of the things I like to do is I like to introduce um, some of the CFOs I work with to our SAP CFOs because they can share, our SAP CFO shares how they run their business using our technology. And it kind of helps it make, makes it a reality. When you, when you hear from someone else that's actually doing it, you start to feel like, hey, I could actually get there. This is not really just a fake demo. This is not just shadow, uh, you know, shadows and mirrors, so to speak. This, this, the CFO sitting across the table from me is actually running his business using some of these capabilities. And, wow, that's really cool. And so it helps them get bought into the process that, yes, we do need to make a change. We do need to make, take a risk. And then once that leadership is sort of bought in on the, on the concept of making that change, then we can start to bring some of those new capabilities out to the lines of business. Uh, again, whether it's a really quick win cloud solution where we can free up some time to help work on the bigger picture, or whether it's just getting their engagement and their buy-in on some of the changes that, that, are, that are coming down the road over the next two to three years. I mean, getting that buy-in early across the organization is critical to, to bringing these new um, shiny new objects. We'll go back to that word again, um, bringing these new shiny toys to, to the end users. If you don't get that buy-in, you're never going to be able to get to that end state. Thank you, Stephanie. And I'm going to take that as your crystal ball prediction because we're running short on time here. So you started the crystal ball. You didn't even know it. David Dixon at TrueQuai, you know how it goes. I'll give you 60 seconds. That's about all we have. What do you see coming down the pike or down the road or up the future in terms of the golden triangle digitally transforming finance? David, go. Well, I think one of the most thought-provoking things in recent media has been the announcement of, I think it was Google Duplex, right, where they show... uh, the scenario of uh, a Google Assistant just starting to ha- have conversations uh, with people. The machine is having conversations with people to book a hairdresser, to make a mm-hmm. restaurant reservation. And so it really starts to spur the dialogue around uh, where's the line between uh, human and machine in terms of what can the machine do, right? And, you know, uh, uh, and the famous Turing test, right? And so I mm-hmm. think we are progressing down the line where more and more activities are, are going to be either machine augmented or just replaced by machines. And when we talk about process, it's, it's, it's more and more about what not only the, you know, the people aspects of it, but the machine aspects. 
And then in turn, you know, with the machines coming in, the change management impact of now having a machine, you know, having to work with the machine, right? And I've seen this, you know, where uh, uh, statistical decision-based models, and we're talking about machine learning and forecasting models and applying them there. And when the machine spits out a forecast that statistically is maybe better predictor than the human processes, the, you know, that are politically, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of politics built into them. Uh, you know, what do you do? What do you, you know, uh, who, you know, who to believe in those kinds of scenarios, right? Because ultimately, people have to make the decisions uh, within the organization. So I think uh, my, you know, uh, prediction follows that the change management discipline and all the things that we're talking about these days, it, the lines between, you know, people and machines are going to blur. And, and what are the roles and responsibilities? Can you imagine a, a receipt chart, you know, responsibility, accountability, consultant, informed? Usually you have people slotted into this kind of a matrix. And, and can you imagine now putting in, you know, uh, uh, personas uh, that are machine personas into that? Um, I think that's where it's going to be really interesting. That, that, Thank that you, David. I'm going to have to cut on. you there and ask Molly to give yep. us a 60 second. We're just about at the end. Molly, got to get your prediction. Go fast, please. You got Molly it. Boyle. I think, um, Go ahead. Yeah, I'm here. I, I think that if I had to summarize quickly, you know, my biggest prediction, I think what we're going to see, particularly in the areas of accounting and finance, is we're going to see eventually the end of this concept of month end or quarter end or or period end closes as we know them today. I think processes are, are becoming, as we add some of these technologies and we replace some of the, the mundane tasks and, and resources that perform those mundane tasks with automation and with technology, what we're going to see is a process that becomes a lot more continuous. And, and I think that's exciting because that's when some of those shiny new tools that Stephanie mentioned can be put to use. I think, you know, a former colleague of mine said something to me a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, what used to be my entire job is now just the price of admission. And, and he wasn't mm. saying that in a negative sense. He was, he was excited about it because he said, yeah, I, I've got to produce financial statements, and I've got to comply with, with Sarbanes-Oxley, and I've got to do all those things, but I'm expected to do that quicker, and I have tools to help me do that quicker and more accurately than ever before. So now I'm at the seat of it. I have a seat at the table, and I'm, I'm part of these business decisions, and I'm looked to, to weigh in and to be close to the business. And I think we're going to see that pendulum continue to swing for accounting and finance professionals. Molly, thank you very much. We are at the end of the show. I want to say thank you to David Dixon at Truquai. Enjoy your time in Spain. Molly Boyle at Blackline. Pleasure to get to know you. Stephanie Hudson-Miller, of course, come back anytime. Uh, thank you to Elizabeth Milne and Chris Grundy for putting this wonderful show together. I think Elizabeth got everything assembled. Great job. She was on with me on a finance show a week ago and was wonderful as always. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like David Dixon, just like Molly Boyle, just like Stephanie Hudson-Miller. We'll talk to you tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. 
wishing you a game-changing week.